the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda Vance. We're here with Kenneth Mabry and Jim Crowder. Good morning, y'all. Good morning, Miss Veda. What howdy, a howdy. crazy weather week, hadn't it been? It has been. It has been. You know, it started out cool in the early part of the week. Now, mm-hmm. hey, first of all, I'm not complaining. Yeah, I love it. Here it is, May, and I'm telling you, it's felt great. But a little cool, a little chilly uh, for May, and then it started to warm up a little bit to me yesterday. Yeah, of course, it's still in the it 80s. Right, and this morning's 50, so Think yeah. about it die great. when it gets in the 90s and 100s, you know. Yeah, we always worry about that. And then it's just daylight as can be. I don't think I remember it being this cool on the first day that's really daylight. Driving in this yeah, morning, you mean? Yeah, driving in, yeah. yeah. You know, I kept looking at my, my, <laughs> my uh, phone, uh, which is my clock now, you know, and yeah. uh, I was like, man, is it only 5.30, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to our show. Yeah, Jim's on got a Jim's here. phone. He's trying to figure out how to cut the volume I'm, down. I'm technically illiterate here. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to give us a call, guys, this morning, really easy. 260-5926. 260-5926. And of course, Vady, they can see your beautiful face oh, well, on uh, you, Facebook Kenneth. Live. All they did just go to Facebook Live, uh, the Mighty 990, and there you are. Ready to go. Ready to go. We want to hear your gardening questions. There's not a question that's too silly. Yep. Ask this morning before you make the mistake this afternoon. Good. Yes. Good one. Did you work on that all night? Yeah, I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. I had a lady come into the garden center yesterday, and she had a uh, some new shoots off some roses. You know, the real pretty mm-hmm. red foliage, you know, brand new lush foliage yeah. uh, for some roses. And I could hardly see the leaves because of the aphids. I'm just oh, telling you now. Word. <laughs> uh, and they are out in force, I'm telling you. And she's like, what do I do to get rid of these nasty creatures? And I was like, it's pretty simple. I mean, mm-hmm. you can wash them off, you know, to kill a, a bunch of them. Uh, but then, of course, go back in and spray. Uh, and most generic insecticides have mm-hmm. aphids on the label. Uh, I personally like to use a systemic insecticide like uh, the acephate, Jim, the right. uh, eye systemic insect spray. Um, well, you know, like for me, if I had a little bit of aphids on the end of the, the leaves. It wasn't a little. It was yeah, a lot. Or a lot. <laughs> I'd either prune it off or spray it with a... a like neem. Yeah. Something like neem. Because aphids are so tender. Yeah. Spinosa would be my choice. I think. Yeah, spinosa yeah. or, or spinosa soap. Azophate is such a good product, though, because it, unlike a lot of chemicals, it accumulates in the tips and the flower buds, so you get more product there, and that's what's being attacked. Is How long growth? does it take it to get through the system? You know, it's, it's fairly rapid when you're mm-hmm. spraying the foliage. Um, and, and the nice thing is you're going to get at least two, probably three, maybe even four, depending mm-hmm. on how much rain we get. Four weeks. Control. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, um, so how does a systemic work through the leaves, but a fertilizer doesn't work through the leaves? Well, it's the size of the molecule. Okay. Right. Because remember go. we talked about mm-hmm. the myth. That yeah, it, it yeah. Do you a lot of good. And spray. so that's what I'm wondering. Well, how? What's the difference? But my point size, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Made, mm-hmm. and Jim, but I'm telling you, new growth. I mean, aphids love new growth. They love that mm-hmm. tender new growth. And you know, the 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 lady, uh, the the aphids. You know, they reproduce at such a quick pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're that, little Xerox machines. Yeah, they are, Jim, and so they just print them out. out copies. Yeah, and they come in all colors too, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> all kinds of body shapes and 
everything. So, so just if, are, if you've got new growth on really anything, go out there and make your rounds this morning. And, you know, look at the uh, underside of the leaf on the stems. And you see mm-hmm. these little green, soft-bodied insects by the billions. Well, you know what I do because... Okay, like I like to squish the bugs on the end of the aphids and all, but when oh, she likes I to do it the old-fashioned way. But this is why that happens. When I was growing up, I always walked through the garden with my granddad and looking at everything. And if he saw a big tomato worm, he pulled it off and just pinched it real yeah, hard. So, kill it. I mean, we did that for years and years. So now I see bugs and, and plants. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pinch them off. <laughs> you better <laughs> get ready my, to do a lot of pinching, young that's lady. That's right. I think it all depends on what you plant in your yard on how much you have to use yeah. of, of anything, how so, much pinching you have to do. So but get rid of those aphids. <laughs> and regardless of what you're spraying with, and we mentioned, you know, the bonite systemic insect spray, uh, neem oil, mm, uh, spinosa. Soap or spinosad yeah. by itself, um, permethrin. I mean, they all get aphids. But typically, you need to spray more than one time, honestly, to break that reproductive cycle. You kill all the aphids that are there at that moment, but you have mm-hmm. egg and larva coming on behind that. So give it a good spray and come back in about 10 days, two weeks, spray it again. And then just any time after that is necessary. But usually those two applications will just knock them out pretty good. Yeah. When all this new growth starts coming out, aphids can smell it. You know, and we always... <laughs> There's like... New growth, here we come. But, you know, plants do emit certain smells, which is what attracts plants to it. Mm -hmm. So they do smell it. And (laughs) and keep in mind also, you know, we always talk about crepe myrtle bark scale. You know how they give off honeydew. You talk about it. Well, yeah, because people have problems with them as they do. Because it's paying for his mortgage. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Right. So, yeah, let's go back to that. (laughs) But, But my point, though, is it's not only crepe myrtle bark scale. They give off that sticky secretion called honeydew. And yeah. then you get the black sooty mold growing on that secretion. Aphids are notorious about that also. And sometimes yeah. you'll get these aphids infesting in a tree, and then all your landscape up under this tree starts turning black with mm-hmm. sooty mold. Scale will do the same thing up in there. Exactly. In the top of the tree. Exactly. Yeah. So if you see black sooty mold growing on your landscape, it's not the mold that's the problem. Yeah. It's the insects that are causing the mold. You know, usually we get samples of things that have issues, but it all starts from like another cause because people come in because they've got black sooty mold on their plants, but it's actually aphids. Uh, people come in because for some reason my plants got to turning white. Well, or, it's, or they're covered with ants. You yeah, know, I know some, that freaks people something out. Something else is going on. Ants are not a problem. They're a symptom of a problem. Yeah. Yeah, because they like aphids. Mm-hmm. And someone, I'd heard someone say um, that if you have a lot of ants on your peonies, that um, they're going to bloom. You're reading my mind. Right, yeah. And I thought, well, you know, ants could carry pollen uh, from one to the other. But they always make it sound like when the bud is open, which yeah, they, that's not going to work. You know, it's a garden myth that ants are required for peonies to open. Wow, required, yeah, huh? Yeah, it, when the bud is forming, it it has a sticky residue on, the, on it from the sap, and the mm-hmm. ants come and feed on that. Yeah. But if you don't have ants, the flower is still going to open unless right. you've had botrytis or some other issue. Yeah. Um, but you know, there are people that swear up and down by that. You know? well, I had a lady call me this week at the garden center, sweet as uh, Miss uh, Graber real sweet lady and uh someone had given her some pennies from their yard Mm -hmm. beautiful bouquet uh and they're sitting on her kitchen counter and the next thing she says kenny i've got ants all in my kitchen (laughs) she said what do i do about (laughs) you know what do i do difficult well if i had ants in my kitchen i would use diatomaceous earth of course to um 
have them walk through it. I mean, you got to be... And then feel like they're in a thousand razor blades. Yeah, oh, I, love the, <laughs> I love the sound of that. But I mean, I guess you got to be careful spraying penny blooms, you know, because the blooms are so delicate, if you will. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jim, um, is it... Peony or peony? Wait, how does Kenneth say it in the southern way? Well, I used to say peony until a lady slapped me. She said it's a penny. That's what I'm saying. A peony, a peony, a peony. What do you say, Jim? Peony. Peony. I just say whichever one. That just or liriope, liriope. And I used to say clematis, and then I got slapped again, and it's clematis. Yeah. Yeah, so not the other one. Um, Yeah, yeah. I had a lady when I did a commercial on the radio, and I said. Peony, I guess, and she called and she goes, you're not a true horticulturist or a true gardener because you're not pronouncing the you gotta clematis. you got to get your words right, Miss yeah. I know, and then I'm like, which one is it now? <laughs> I don't remember. So anyway, whatever you call it, it doesn't matter. The ants don't have to be there. So, I mean, so what do you do, though, if you've got peonies, peonies uh, out there blooming or, or fixing to, about to bloom? And you know there's ants all over them. I mean, I guess you could go out there before they, the blooms actually open and spray a, there again, a generic insecticide like a bifenferin that would kill the ants mm-hmm. uh, before you cut them and take them yeah, inside. Yeah, I usually keep a can of some sort of, uh, or a spray bottle of an aerosol yeah. or, or spray ready-to-use type product. And, you know, if I see a lot of insects, then I'll just, you know, put a little coating on there and give it a, an hour or two, and they're pretty much gone. They'll, they'll run away from it. So, uh, you know, if the bud's tight, you can run a little water on it maybe. But yeah. they can, if they're open, they can shatter pretty yeah, quickly. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, you got to be careful doing yeah. that. Well, well, so y'all give us a call, 260 Is that the right number? Yeah, 260 And y'all, i got to ask y'all a question when we get back. Uh, my mother has some vinca vine growing up under her azaleas, old established azaleas, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's had it pulled out before, but it always comes back. And then she has uh, some guys coming over. She wants to have it cleaned out. Well, they said, well, yeah, the way we're going to clean it out is just spray with Roundup. So I need to get y'all's take on spraying Roundup in a big bed full of these mature azaleas. And the only reason this, I'm asking that bringing this question mm-hmm. up because we all know that azaleas are very shallow-rooted. Yeah. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? We need to talk about that. Right. Well, um, is it time for a break? Oh, that's why you're smiling at me. All right. We're going to take a break. But y'all can call us on the break, 260-5926, and we'll be right here after this. Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You're here with Veda, Jim, and Kenneth. I think we were talking about spraying the vinca vine. Yeah, up under, round, uh, up under the azaleas with Roundup. And, you know, we all know technically if you use a Roundup-type product, whether it's Roundup, Kills All, Decimate, they all do the same thing, that they kill technically anything that's green and growing. But the beauty of those products is they don't, penetrate through the soil and kill everything around them. It only kills what it comes in contact with. And that basically when they hit the soil, they're disactivated. But my question was, since azaleas are so shallow rooted and these, and there's so many big azaleas in there and the roots are going to be just, you know, intertwined mm-hmm. with each other, yeah. the whole bed area is going to be nothing but azalea roots. Uh, I mean, what do y'all think about going in there and spraying a Roundup type product or Roundup to kill that vinca vine mm-hmm. and not potentially hurt the azaleas through any kind of root absorption. Mm, this is Jim. 
Well, they're not going to be absorbed through the roots. Even Probably. though they're shallow rooted, like even that. though they're shallow rooted, yeah. Only way it works is by Roundup works by is by getting on green tissue, mm. and what? it inhibits an enzyme necessary for food production, and so it doesn't mm. do anything to the roots. Um, now the, we're not the, saying go out there and drench the bed with Roundup, but no, I'm talking about just you, you spraying a fine to. mist with a pump. Up Usually, type a mist is all that you need. Yeah. The, the course of the spray, the more droplets you get, which tends to run off the plant. True. So, but the issue is the applicator, the person that's doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you're if you've got it in the pump sprayer, you're going to get some practically invisible mist that that you're could, just not seeing can drift upward and get on the lower leaves. Mm-hmm. So there is that potential. I would much rather wick applicate it. You know, mix it up in a bucket, take a sponge mop, go in there and just gotcha. wipe it, gotcha. and uh, maybe add a little extra surfactant to make it stick to it. And just uh, and just wipe it, and you're going to have to come back, but you'd have to come back again probably. Right. Um, you've got so much carbohydrates in that massive root system of right. vinca uh, that one it, application is probably just not probably gonna not going to quite mm-hmm. get it. But so what you're saying is, if we see people outside with their sponge mops mopping their plants, it's really okay. Yeah. Yeah. just know yeah. that they're they're Absolutely. not they're crazy. being they're being yeah. safe. So you right. get a bucket, mm. put your stuff in it, squeeze that. Okay. Yeah, and not squeeze out too much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's got to be got to be damp. But maybe wear gloves too. Yeah. If but it squeeze. works works real good. And if it's yeah. really I tight like in idea. perennial gardens, just use a sponge with gloves mm-hmm. like you're talking about, yeah. or paintbrush oh, works yeah. very yeah, very good. well in getting in. Well, there's places. a lot of ink in this in this area, yeah. and now you. We're not, and we're not saying go out there with a brush killer, because no. that stuff can yeah. penetrate through the soil and kill it. You know everything that's in that bed, uh, but we're talking about Roundup in particular. Yeah, that's a good point because some. What are the things in the brush killer that makes it different than the Roundup? Well, if it's glyphosate, basically nothing. It's the mm-hmm. rate, yes, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, it's the <laughs> same product, the Roundup brush killer, mm-hmm. as the regular Roundup in the forty-one percent. It's the right. same stuff. So, yeah. like, what I'm thinking is, even though y'all are looking at the label and you go, oh, "Well, this is Roundup and this is Roundup," you know. But it does make a difference. It makes a difference yeah, but, with yeah. the rate. Yeah, but my my point is there are brush killers out there. Yeah, that like Truclopar. Right, that are Excellent not under product. the Roundup label mm-hmm. uh, that do a That's really good one. job in killing woody-type plants, yeah. whether it's oak saplings, uh, vincamine, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I have not cared for the homeowner Roundup, the mm-hmm. 18%, because they put diquat in it, right. which is a cotton herbicide. Right. It's a defoliant, yeah. and that's not something that I want to put in there. But the 41% is all Roundup. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're generics like kills yeah. all, uh, what's bone The decimate, uh, well, or, and then clean up. Clean up, yep. Mm-hmm. Those are great products. They're just the glyphosate. And you don't have to worry about it doing anything to the soil at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a good one. Now, the other one that I was interested in, and I have a hard time saying it, which I'll just said, the triclopar. Triclopar. Yeah. Which is in most of your just typical brush right. killers. And that's like the, a great one, isn't it? Yeah, but you don't want to use versus that. versus the round. Yeah, but you don't want to yeah. use it in a bed. Though. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, but you can do you, one of the best nice things about you can mix triclopar and Roundup and go through wooded areas and kill mm-hmm privet during the winter time because it's got foliage on it mm-hmm. but not do anything to your ephemerals it won't bother mm-hmm. anything like that because the rate you're using is so low uh, and it's a good way to get rid of 
privet and undergrowth that you don't want. Kenneth, do you safely. know what ephemeral is? An ephemeral. What's an ephemeral? Ephemeral are things like may apples that come mm. up early in the spring when there's still sunlight penetrating through the yeah. woods, and then they fade off as during mm. when we get hot yeah. and they're gone. They're still there, but they're just waiting for the next spring. Is that yeah. like a trillium? Uh, yeah. That's a perennial? Yep. Yep. No. That's an ephemeral. Yeah. And, ephemeral. And, and let me say this also. You know, we've been talking about the word roundup, uh, which has a stigma to a lot of people uh, behind yeah. it because of the lawsuits and all mm-hmm. that. Um, the new product uh, is, you know, I mentioned decimate. Uh, decimate is a, it's a liquid, it's a concentrate that you dilute it. It works just like Roundup. It's not Roundup. It's very it's close. Glufosinated. Exactly, Jim. Um, but it's not Roundup. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's a you know a scare out there for whatever reason you don't want to use the word or don't want to mm-hmm. use the product, Roundup uh, Decimate is the product that you'd want to use yeah. because and it does the same thing. It's been around a long time. In fact, there are just like there are Roundup ready crops, there are glufosinate round ready crops. Oh yeah. Uh, it's been in the agricultural business for yes. how long. It was introduced into retail many years ago as Finale. You're exactly right. And mm-hmm. but it because Roundup had, had such advertising behind it, it never really made inroads. Uh, so, but it's, it's, is an excellent product. And there's some people that say it does a better job on things like nutgrass, uh, than, um, than Roundup. And, and the reason that I brought up brush killer also is everybody that I know has probably gone through this at least once in their life. Uh, you know, crepe myrtles are absolutely beautiful. They do what they're supposed to do here in the South, right? I mean, our crepe myrtles are the, are, are the Northerners lilacs, Okay. But if you ever get rid of a crepe myrtle, <laughs> you cut the thing down, and you grind out the stump, you dig it up. I don't care what you do to it. Mm-hmm. You're going to get sprouts from where that crepe myrtle used to be. Indeed. It's going yeah. to happen. Uh, and to me, I uh, had a lady ask me, she said she wanted to kill the crepe myrtle sprouts, but not harm her Bermuda grass. Um, so in that case, you know, I would say anything with uh, the 2,4-D and the dicamba, you know, the weed-free zone, most of your broadleaf weed killers. And if you just, with repeat applications, you know, you'll finally kill those crepe myrtle sprouts and, well, you, won't, and you won't hurt your Bermuda. True. When you're talking about the sprouts, not the ones coming up from the base of the tree. No, no. The, the tree is that, gone. You know, yeah, you we'll dug up sure. that tree, yeah. you cut that tree down, and you've got these sprouts coming up right, where yeah. that thing used where to be. Where the roots were <laughs> yes. out there. Yeah. Location has a lot to do with that, though, because if that same tree was cut down the flower bed, you don't want to use the 240. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about in a, in a lawn area with Bermuda, right. uh, and that's where I would use 2,4-D and dicamba, or a combination of the two. But now, if I had my choice, I would rather use a brush killer on those crepe myrtle sprouts to kill the crepe myrtles. In fact, there are brush killers that have 2,4-D and dicamba in them Mm -hmm. also that, you know, you can use to kill (laughs) those dang sprouts and not potentially harm your your Bermuda or Zoysia lawn. So keep that in mind also. You know how many uh, numbers of seeds that one dandelion plant puts out? You mean the ones that you just blow into the wind? Yeah. 15,000 seeds for one dandelion. And you wonder why you have dandelions in everybody's yeah. yard, right? Right. Uh, this soil is 680 seeds. This one's what was crazy. The common mulein. Mul- uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 223,000 seeds per plant. 
So, you know, people really freak out because they keep getting weeds, but look. Yeah. You know, that's a, how many people blame the mulch company yeah. for nutgrass, you know. Right. Put the mulch down, nutgrass comes up, and obviously the seed came with the mulch. But it doesn't. Right. You know, the seed's just sitting there waiting for you to cover it. You know yeah, you know yeah. how many seeds come off my tulip poplar tree in my front yard every year? <laughs> right, right. The one that I still hadn't cut down yet. And some seeds live 20 to 40 years in the soil, and I, when you turn them, there they are. Yep. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Beta Vance here with Kenneth Mabry and Jim Crowder. What a group you have this morning. Yes. Good morning to you again, Ms. Beta and Jim. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. Of course, you can go to Facebook Live, shoot us a text, mm-hmm. any question that you have, and you can see Ms. Veda right there. Mm-hmm. Picture perfect, Ms. Veda. Yes. Yeah, Kenneth and I are not actually in the studio. We're at home on our couch. I just make I just it. make it look like I'm looking at y'all. Yeah, and yeah. so is our wonderful producer, Miss Claire. She's not in the in the studio yeah, either. <laughs> oh wait, we don't have to do that anymore. Hey, I, I proposed a question while ago when we were on break. Is um, you know, this is the time of year people start thinking about sod, whether it's Bermuda or zoysia. Um, you know, as far as the prep work, guys. Um, you know, because I know a lot of people go in there, they'll buy 10 pieces of sod and just take them home, throw them on the top of the dirt or the grass they already have, put them as tight as they can and start watering and just see what happens. But Veda, you've been in landscaping before. You know, that's not probably the best way to start off, you know, new, mm-hmm. beautiful sod. So what's the deal with with sod. When people come in and get sod yeah. and they take it home, what should, what should they do? Just take it and throw it out on the yard. That's water. what I just <laughs> said. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Technically, really, well, like if you were filling in, you definitely, which is horrible to do, but there's two ways you have to dig the soil out to make it even. Right. To make it level because the sod's got dirt on the bottom right. of it, right? Yeah. And then, you know, you could add a little compost there to make it root quicker. And this has happened when we plugged it in. We put in compost in the soil, and of course it gets around the grass and all. And right. then you put the sod in there, and then you've got this nice green spot because of that where you extra compost. treated, yeah. And then the rest of the yard. And so then I tell them, well, you can get a truckload of compost, mm-hmm. dump it out, do it through your yard, or you can get some humic acid mm-hmm. and spray that. That would be like it, but definitely. And then some people, I don't think you have to till. You don't have to till your entire mm-hmm. yard. You know your front. If you just spread compost out and uh, break it smooth, yeah, but you come back and lay down. it in to just get it as tight as you mm-hmm. possibly can. Had a guy come in yeah. yesterday and he had laid some sod, and he had uh, last year, and of course he had about a half an inch, three quarters of an inch uh, gap between mm-hmm. each piece. He didn't yeah. have them just really tight, and he said it was it was like he, he said I almost brought you a picture because in every crack, every yeah. gap. Uh, I've got weeds coming up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And he said, because he went out there last year, and he did till his whole front yard, mm-hmm. raked it smooth, put the sod down. But like I said, he had gaps in between. And, you know, I said, well, A, like you said a while ago, when you go out there and till a front yard uh, to start over, I mean, he's, mm-hmm. you can spray Roundup to kill everything that's there. You can till it and rake it all smooth, and then you're ready to go. But anytime you go in there and start tilling, you can bring up weed seed that can lay dormant for up to 30 years. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah. you know, it's and like, Jim, you're talking about how, you know, people always blame the mulch mm-hmm. for having mm-hmm. weed seed in it. People always blame the sod company for yeah. having seed, weed seed in it also. Right. But how many dandelion weeds did he say exactly. comes up from he, one plant? He said, it, I mean, he said it, it looks like a checkerboard because everywhere there's a gap, there are weeds coming yeah. up. And, you know, we talked about, you know, you don't want to go in there and spray any weed killers on any lawn that's not considered established. Mm-hmm. And, a, you know, a, a lawn that where you lay the sod down is not considered established until it's been cut at least three times. And then you can go in there and spray, you know, weed killers uh, safely on that lawn. But, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was like, well, I, did I do it the right way? I said, well, yeah, there's no really wrong way to do it. Uh, yeah. But there are other ways to do it. It's kind of like if you go proper or the right way the first time, then right. you have less issues later. But it's still sod works pretty good just throwing it out and watering and Jim, and it. What about you? Because I know you put a lot of sod down in your front yard. Well, you know, um, Veda's right. The correct way to do it is to loosen that soil, remove what you need to to get it level. Right. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, yeah, I've thrown it down on top of hard clay and it roots in just fine. Yeah. You know. As long as you keep it in the water. The issue is down the road. You know, by not doing the soil prep, you're not going to get as deep a root growth. In periods of drought, it's going to dry quicker. Uh, and if you have, like we did this year, temperatures approaching zero, Bermuda's killed at about eight degrees. So the colder it gets, the further down those buds are killed. And uh, yeah, I think Kenneth's a golfer. He remembers a few, quite a few years oh, back yeah. when the every fairways, every the green greens. in this mm-hmm. town was killed because we had had oh, a yeah. we had warm, we had dry, and then a lot of these have had pre-emerges on them, which also inhibits the roots a little bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then it went to you know below zero, and it just wiped out the Bermuda. Just wasn't enough carbs left in that plant to kick it off and start again. Yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah, and and sometimes you do have to till because I've the yards are not level yeah. at all, and so either you're going to be scraping trying to get the yard level, but sometimes tilling, but just don't till mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth because you're messing up your soil web. Yeah, and I, you, you know, I almost prefer to use a soil aerator and to do that yeah. with it. just run it across it three or four times, and you you pulverize the mm-hmm. soil, make it loose enough. Uh, and you don't do the damage to your soil that yeah. you can do with a, with yeah. a tiller. Yeah, an aerator. That's a great idea. I've been yeah. trying to figure out how. And you can even go, you know run that across your good grass if you need to mm-hmm. to to help the root development. Yeah, and I'm like what you said a while ago. I don't mind bringing in some soil. I don't care if it's a you know a, a bulk soil, uh, soil in bags, or even topsoil. Uh, and just kind of putting a light later down before I come back and lay that sod down. That way you do have something fairly soft, a little bed for those little root hairs to kind of just attach themselves mm-hmm. to. Uh, and then really it's just a matter of keeping it moist, not sloppy, sloppy wet. But you do need to water that sod when you put it down, uh, you, you know, usually every day for the first three weeks. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you got to keep it sloppy wet there again. Mm-hmm. And the best time to water is going to be early in the morning because the excessive moisture has time to dry off before mm-hmm. the end of the day. Right. Um, so, you know, it's it's really easy to, to lay sod and to grow grass, but there are just a few things you need to do right on the front end. Yes. And, you know, we always get frustrated because weeds come up, but weeds come up because something's um, not balanced in your yard in terms of the weeds came up because the sod wasn't pushed together. Yeah. You know, the weeds are coming up because you just have bare soil. The weeds are coming up because your soil's not good. Some weeds, if your soil's really good, some weeds don't like it. 
if your soul's really doesn't clover though if your soul's real good i think clover likes it mm. or it helps get your soul good so you know that one you know a majority you can so amend she, your she's soil she's working that slant but over there, Jim. there is some like the clover that enjoyed what you just did um, but just think of weeds as sometimes a byproduct i mean because that's what it does it's supposed to cover the earth yeah mother and, nature does not want bare ground right and we're supposed to have the flowers for the pollination and the enjoyment we're supposed to have all that but not in your yard <laughs> you know right. so um I had a uh, text from Wendy Johnson. She said, how can I prevent crepe myrtle seedlings from sprouting in my zoysia? Uh, and that's what we were talking about a while mm-hmm. ago, how to kill, you know, crepe myrtle yeah. uh, sprouts. Now, if you've, um, Wendy, you know, how to prevent it. Uh, there, There's a product mm-hmm. on the market called Sucker Stopper uh, that you can you can cut the the sprouts with a pair of clippers, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you can spray with that uh, sucker stopper. Um, it's fairly expensive, uh, but it's supposed to, it's, got, it's a hormone. It's a growth uh-huh. regulator is what it is. And it will potentially keep uh, the sprouts from re-sprouting, if you will. Oh, even re-sprouting. Yeah. She, you know, she's saying that they're seedlings, though, and not root sprouts. So we, you need to be, you need to see which one they really are. Yeah. Um, if they're just seedlings coming up out there, your two four D products yeah. would would just knock them out. Uh, and if they're root sprouts, then you could potentially damage your crate myrtle nearby by spraying that repeatedly on there. So if if they if if they're root sprouts, then uh, yeah, the, like Kenneth said, you can cut them off, spray right there with the sucker stopper, right. and they won't resprout. Right. But um, if they're just seedlings coming up, Jim, at random, yeah. you then get out there with some weed-free zone, weed yeah. meter ultra, some, you know, 2,4-D and dicamba, and it will kill those sprouts and not hurt mm-hmm. your lawn. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll just keep mowing over them. Yeah. Yeah, or keep them cut. Yeah. But then again, that's one of those things where your lawn's perfect and you're sitting there enjoying it, and then you look out and you see these seedlings sticking I I up have, above I actually it. have in my front yard an oak forest. But they're yeah. all about, you know, an inch tall where I've cut them off. Right. <laughs> and you, and But, works. Jim, if you keep yeah. cutting that foliage off of those oak seedlings, and remember how some years, guys, every acorn that falls yeah. mm-hmm. germinates, and they are everywhere, even including your lawn. But if you just keep the uh, foliage cut off of those, eventually they'll actually die on you. They will. Yeah. Y'all got to give us a call, 260-5926. You can check us out on Facebook Live. And you can even post questions on there, and we'll love to answer those as well. So, we also invite you, if you're not a member, join yeah. uh, our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. You mean you got room for more? We do. We're, we're up to a little over 5,700 members now, and uh, so we're real pleased with uh, uh, people inviting their friends to join. So, But uh, does it yeah. get to a point, Jim, where people are posting questions and you just, I mean, there's just not enough people to answer the so questions? I was going to well, say that. No, there's not because <laughs> you know, there are so many gardeners out there who mm-hmm. are willing to help. Okay. And that's what's yeah. really unique about our particular group. Uh, is people everybody that's a member right. can can yeah. I guess now type you, in a reply. You get some that you know, like this week we had somebody mm-hmm. recommending juicy fruit chewing gum, 
for to kill moles, which you know there's been lots of research that it shows right. that it absolutely does nothing. I have to agree with that myth. Yeah, and then <laughs> one person said you have to leave. You don't chew it. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you have to leave the wrapper on, and the wrapper is what kills it. You know, and none of this is is so actually cute. based in science. Um, so, um, but so you have to. Sometimes it's you have to weigh what's true and not. So. Uh, but if, you're, if so you're if sitting, it's blatant, you know, where it's likely to kill something, then yeah. I'll usually step in and say, don't do this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was reading one where you had a thread of like 50 people. And so I'm reading the comments and I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm thinking, how is Jim doing this? So anyway, y'all need to check out that page, too. I got to do some more research in the juicy fruit. I'm still not convinced that it doesn't help. It was probably like a coincidence. Like they just got a new dog and then they put the juicy fruit out and the dog really scared them. It wasn't the juicy fruit. Yeah. You know, these little coincidences sometimes is, why, is how I think myths are born. You can do born. all the research you want. <laughs> well, I want to give people hope if they've got moles, okay? If they can just chew. Do they even make juicy fruit anymore? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, Man, yeah. one of my favorites, but I haven't in a while. So, um, Right. You know where chiclets came from? Oh, where? Remember chiclets? Yes, I love chiclets. Okay, chiclets were actually made by the son of Santa Ana, who uh, was leading the Mexican army against the Alamo. They actually moved to the United States, and Santa Ana made a good bit of money selling chicle, which comes Mm -hmm. from like a rubber product, from make tires. Uh, And then his son developed Chicklets. Unbelievable. Isn't it? A little Love piece of trivia there that you'll that. not know. Not ever need. Right. But, but now you know. Yeah. Okay, we're going to run to a break real quick and we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back. That music makes me talk slow and quiet. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Let's go ahead and take a caller. Good morning, Marion. You're listening to Beta, Kenneth, and Jim. How can we help you today? Good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning to you all. I have a bed of pansies that I'm fixing to um, pull out, mm-hmm. but the pansies have developed a disease. They've got white spots on the blooms and the leaves. Right. And uh, black dots on the stems. Right. Do I need to do anything to the soil before I put my plantations in? I mean, just because you're seeing a fungal pathogen or fungal spots on the pansies does not mean that you're going to see that on the sun patients when you put them in. Uh, the pansies are just really struggling now because of this time of year. You know, when it, the warmer it gets and the longer into the, the year it gets, they just start to die back. Uh, so they're on their way out anyway. Now, does it hurt to go out there and, and, you know, get the sun patients planted and come back and spray a broad-spectrum fungicide? It doesn't hurt anything. But I don't think you need to run out there and do it, Marianne, on the sun patients just because of what you're seeing on those pansies that are dying back anyway. Okay. All right. Oh, so thank you. They're thank welcome. You. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I always well, prep my soul. Yeah, most of the diseases are fairly specific to what they'll attack. So, you know, likely it's not going to be an issue. No. Yeah. And, and like I said, and the, and the pansies are looking ratty this time of year anyway. And I've seen that on other pansies. Um, but no, just get those things out of there. And I agree with what Veda said. I'd still go in there and do a little soil prep. 
you know, add a little compost, uh, you know, to the holes or, or to that area uh, that you're going to plant those sun patients and uh, rake everything smooth, come back and plant, lightly mulch it in, feed it, you know, just all the things that we normally do. But I don't think you have to worry about a, uh, a disease right. because of what you're seeing on the pansies. Right. Now, now with the vinca, when it, the periwinkle, which you, you have planted, we know mm. that, or actually I have not heard in the past couple of years and things changed so much. Oh, yeah. You used to not be able to plant your vinca back in the same soil that the vinca died from that um, the aerial phytophthora. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I was like, well, okay, that fungus is in the soil. You remove the plant. You add some good compost and organic nutrients and the bad fung, the good fungus eats the bad fungus. And then, so go ahead and plant back. But what's, what is, what do you say, Jim? Uh, normally I would wait two to three years before replanting vinca mm-hmm. back in the same spot. Yep. If you had the dieback. Yeah. If, if you've had that issue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just, you know, plant sun patients or something else mm-hmm. until... Um, Vinca's tough to grow here. Our humidity yeah. is just, you know, really rough on them. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the biggest thing with Vinca too is people tend to overwater. They do, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it wants to be fairly arid and dry. Yeah. You know, yeah. When I was in Texas, it grew great there, but mm-hmm. we didn't. You could never overwater there. <laughs> but yeah, Vinca's do, does great in containers too. But I tell you yeah. what, uh, she was talking about replanting. Uh, you know, it's time for the pansies to come on mm-hmm. out. I mean, you know, we hold on to them as long as ah, we possibly well, can. Shoot, after you finish painting your kitchen today, come over and yank my pansies yeah. out. For God, me. Jim. I'm just waiting until the bitter <laughs> end on mine. <laughs> but uh-huh. and, and people do that. But I mean, they're going to start looking ratty, and it's not uncommon to see the the splotches on the blooms and the leaves and all that. Because it's um, past the time. Exactly. And, and I tell you what, sun patients, and, and I was a little skeptical when they first came out. Uh, you know, the, here we have an impatient that can take a lot of sun. I'm like, mm, I don't, we'll have to wait and see. They are great. I'm telling you, they do what they're supposed to do. Big, beautiful blooms, kind of like mm-hmm. the New Guineas, but they can take that sun. Yes. We have a caller, but I think we'll go ahead and wait till the break and take the caller after the break so we can mm-hmm. get as much time in with him. And you don't want to no, cut. we're good. Okay. Nope. He's not on the line. David, I was going to hold over. David, okay, call thanks. back. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, every year poses its challenges uh, on things that we plant, bedding plants included. Some years we have horrible insect problems. Some years we have horrible disease problems. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, some years we see a lot of both. And a lot of that is, uh, you know, di- I guess dictated by the weather. So, you know, let's just hope, y'all, that we have a, when I say a decent growing season, I don't really know what that means, but let's hope we have a decent growing season where we're not just inundated, uh, you know, with insects and disease. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember the downy mildew that affected mm-hmm. the impatience that year? Yeah. And every impatient in Memphis uh, died because of it. I don't care where you had it. Uh, you know, and that was kind of, you know, that's unusual, but it can happen is my point. We were fortunate it didn't last year after year after year. Impatience are one of my favorite flowers. And I was really frustrated for the first time in gardening. First time. And, and I tell you what, for, for a couple <laughs> of years. Had the hundredth time, thousandth time. And guys, for a couple of years, people were a little hesitant to plant mm-hmm. impatience because of what happened with that downy mildew. But I think most of those infected plants came in from the growers anyway. Okay, oh, yeah. y'all, go to Facebook Live. Post some questions. You don't have to call. Just post some questions. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say or reading, and we'll be right back to answer them.
The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. You're here with Veda Vance. I'm from Palladio. Uh, Kenneth Mabry. From Dan West Garden Center right there on Poplar Avenue. And Mr. Jim Crowder, the old, you know, we used to call him the grumpy Grinch and grumpy. grumpy. And, yeah. But, you know, Jim's not grumpy no, anymore. No, you know, in fact, no. I never knew him to be grumpy. No, I didn't either. Well, I've been so, on medication a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Jim, I heard people laughing out there. Y'all got this little uh, thing on on the, um, what is it called, uh, on the Internet. Um Little, oh, the Facebook page. Yeah, the, well, they've no. got a little gardening thing going on over there. What's a little the gardening yeah. thing. You're talking about my Facebook page? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mid-South Gardening. Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. It is awesome. It is. And we have people from all kinds of zones. We have people from around the around the world. Um, but it's it's great. It's a place to brag, place to show what you've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Foliage Friday where we focus on different textures and leaves, and it's mm-hmm. just it's just fun. Yeah. Uh, what we don't do is research for other people. What yeah. we try to do is get them to do the research. Yeah. Uh, we don't do links to other sites, you know, we, mm-hmm. because we want this. This is just a conversation between gardeners who have done it and gardeners who want to do it. And, and you made a comment one time, Jim. You can go up there and hit uh, groups and go to a list or, or files. something. Files. You go to our files. And, and I mean, I'm telling you, that is the gym. And people, if you don't go to that and look at some of those files uh, and the information that's in there, you know, we've you're got truly a missing out. Great file on deer resistant plants, a great file on plants for moist or wet areas. Okay, and, you uh, need to quit putting those out because that's why nobody's going to listen to us because they can read all your information online. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Jim's like, fine with me. <laughs> no. You know, we don't get a lot of the same questions we used to get years and years ago because. We've learned so much about gardening on how to be doing preventative maintenance that it seems like. But we should go to David. He's been holding a while. Thank you so much for holding, David. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning, fellas. Hey, Dave. Good morning to you, sir. Hey, uh, talking your show up, and everybody really loves it. Uh, I've told several people. Thank you. I just really enjoy listening to you guys each morning, uh, Saturday morning. Well, thank you, Dave. Anyway. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, my question is, I've got some uh, dwarf mondo that outlines my my rocks around my garden. I think you've seen it, Kenneth. I have. It's beautiful. Before. Yes, sir. And um, now I've got some uh, zoysia that's creeping in there. It creeps in there at a certain location. I, uh, now I can do it old school where I can dig it all up and kind of redo it, pull the, pull the twigs out and everything. Is there a spray that... Uh, I can put on there that save me some time for St. Augustine growing uh, in the zoysia. rocks. Oh, zoysia growing, you know, in the and, and I, I mean, St. Augustine. You know, Jim, <laughs> back in the old days, people would get over the top uh, grass killer, grass be gone mm-hmm. to kill Bermuda in dwarf mondo, but I don't think it does a decent job on zoysia, does it? It, it uh, quite often will metabolize it and come out of it. It'll yellow it. Um, yeah. But most of those have um, labels, you know, to remove Bermuda out of zoysia. Right. Um, it's, so I it, don't think it's going to be the answer to get ridding the zoysia it, it, out of the mondo. Yeah, it, it's probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds I'll probably just 
I'll probably just go old school and just kind of take <laughs> right. Well, Dave, old school, say. old school. I mean, you can, uh, man, you can get calluses on your hands pretty quick doing it that way. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm with you. I mean, the 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 easy products that we talk about, you know, over the top, grass be gone, grass killer. Those mm-hmm. products are, are designed to kill grassy type vegetation in, say, dwarf mondo. But mm-hmm. it will flat out kill Bermuda in dwarf mm-hmm. mondo and not hurt the dwarf mondo. But like Jim was just saying, I, it might burn that uh, zoysia, but I don't think it's going to get rid of that zoysia. So having said yeah. that, either you have to spot treat with something like Roundup. Of course, it's going to kill anything mm-hmm. that it comes in contact with. Or you go in there and selectively dig it out of there. Or like Dave's mm-hmm. talking about, dig everything up and come back and yeah. replant. Ugh. Yep, that's the one. That's I've had to do the old school way a number of times. So, <laughs> so when you're doing that, just enjoy everything you're doing. <laughs> just focus. Oh, good, yeah. good. Glad to. So hear there's it. not me, a good answer, Dave. There's not an easy way to get that zoysia, zoysia out of that dwarf mondo uh, without potentially hurting the dwarf mondo. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna do it like Beta said too, old school. But anyway. One other point, um, you know, when I laid sod before, uh, you know how on the sod farms they'll cut them on a 45-degree right. angle? Right, yes. And I heard, heard you guys mention something about uh, weeds in between cracks and so forth. Right. Um, I like, you typically lightly kill mine, put put the, the lime down. Right. Uh, and then I, when I, you know, they they, they did that on uh, that 45-degree angle on mm-hmm. a pur- for purpose, and mm-hmm. that's, just to uh, puzzle it, you know, piece it in. Right. That's what I tell exactly. people. Get it in there just as tight as you possibly can. Because I promise yeah. you, if you've got a gap between mm-hmm. those zoysia pieces or Bermuda pieces, uh, you're going to get something to come up through that gap. Yeah, no so doubt. what you're meaning, David, is like, right, is when you're matching your sod pieces, make sure you turn them properly so both 45-degree angles fit together. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes a world of a difference. It does. It does. You, you can tell. Look at it. Yeah. Well, thanks. Enjoy your show and always going to listen. And uh, y'all have a great day. Thank Thank you, David. David. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Dave. Good talking to you, buddy. That is that old school way. We've dug Mondo out so many times just to get all that Bermuda out. If he's got the the Mondo where it's spaced a little bit, Mm -hmm. you could actually paint it with Roundup. But then you Mm -hmm. get brown grass in there, and it's Hmm. probably going to be less attractive. You're going to have to dig it out anyway. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's uh, probably best. And maybe put down a barrier or or leave a gap of two to three inches between mm-hmm. the zoysia so that it and you the, can and the dwarf go, mondo. You can run an edger through there and mm-hmm. trim it out or yeah. something. It's, it's, you know, I mean, back in the old days, uh, anytime we had Bermuda grass or grasses growing in monkey grass, mondo grass, and a lot of other ground covers, we had to go in there and, and dig it out, manually mm-hmm. get it out of there. Or spot treat, you know, was something that would potentially kill anything that it touched. And then these products came on the market like over the top and grass be gone. Uh, and they were great because they kill most grasses growing in a lot of ground covers and ornamentals that's on the label. You can use it directly on or around and it won't hurt. But zoysia... Is is yeah? It, it those products just don't do a good job on zoysia. Man, I know how to make that not happen. Don't plant dwarf mondo next to your lawn. No, you've got to. <laughs> like Jim said, just have a little gap between the zoysia and the dwarf mondo where you can run that weed eater line through there. Or mm-hmm. you can spray a bead of Roundup, you know, every two or three weeks 
to keep that stuff from getting in there. The brief time that I lived in uh, Houston, they would trench. Uh, it would be a, a trench about three inches wide and two to three inches deep sure. for the St. Augustine, and it wouldn't grow down the trench. So they could run an edger along it, and it kept it clean. It wouldn't get into the flower beds that way. Hold on, but you're saying eventually it would grow down the trench. No, it doesn't. It do- won't grow downwards. It only wants to grow straight across or up. St. <laughs> Augustine. Yeah, and, and it's pretty much true with Bermuda. It doesn't want to go down a slope. It wants to grow up the slope. That is amazing. So if you trench it like that and, and just keep that trench clean, keep the leaves and, and that's stuff what out I of do. It, it's just like edging along the sidewalk. That's what I did. You know, right. you just you're able to just go through there and zip it off and it doesn't become a problem. That's mm. very interesting. Yeah, I mean you can do it now too here if we have Bermuda <clears throat> or Zoysia, that's okay because we that's what we did. We always put it put a trench and then just told the landscape guys to, if it gets into that trench, take it out instead of, I've seen it where they keep weed eating, keep weed eating, and the bed gets smaller. Yeah. And then there's this big gap of soil yes. and dirt. We've had to fill yes. so much sod in because they just weed eat it and they push it all the way back. Yeah, I see that all the time. Yeah. But David's yard looks, uh, I mean, he's got a beautiful lawn. And I tell you what, he'll do whatever it takes to get that zoysia out of that dwarf mondo. And he's got these really pretty rock uh, creek beds in there mm-hmm. for drainage, uh, beautiful uh, grass, manicured beds. I mean, it's really a good-looking landscape. And it would probably bother him a lot yeah. more than it would me to see a little zoysia growing in that yeah. dwarf mondo, you know. All right. I guess we'll run to a break. We'll run. Start running. Well, but before we <laughs> run, we're going to give people the phone number, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, like we always say, you can go to Facebook Live, Mid-South Gardening, and shoot us a text there, Miss Veda. Um, any question, like Jim said, no, no question's a bad question. Good morning. Welcome back. That will, on, she's over there bouncing. Right, say, okay, that one's better. <laughs> I'll talk louder with that music. Welcome back. I'm Vader with Palladio. We've got Kenneth with Dan West and Jim. With, from my does, recliner. From his recliner. Yes. <laughs> okay, so give us a call, 260-5926, or shoot us questions on Facebook Live. We're, we read them as they come oh, through, sure. and we'll answer those questions as well. Yep. So what's on our gardening agenda next? Well, you know, we were talking about fungus among us. I mean, there's a lot of fungus out there. I mean, it's been pretty wet, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. this spring, in in the cool temperatures at night. Uh, And it kind of just sets up for a perfect environment for a lot of fungal growth. Uh, Anybody that's ever had a red tip photinum, they know about endosporium leaf spot, okay? In fact, a lot of people don't even plant photinas anymore. They cut them down to the ground, and they just Mm -hmm. did not replant because of that horrible leaf spot that they get. But I had a guy come into the garden center the other day, and he had cut off a limb, Veda and Jim, and it had endosporium on every leaf that he brought in. Beautiful red, black mm-hmm. spots on red tip photinas. And he's like, what in the heck is going on? And I explained to him what it was. He said, you know, I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know. You are a lucky how? man. Yeah, yeah, how did you, or how are you just now seeing this? But if you do have or still have some red tip photinas, which I love the shrub Mm -hmm. because it it is so versatile. And I mean, you could use it as a screen. You could cut it up like you do crepe myrtles. It's an evergreen, fast growing. I mean, there are really some great places you could plant red tip Mm -hmm. photinas. 
for all the right reasons. But like I said, a lot of people just don't do it because of that endosporium leaf spot. So I told him, you know, ideally at the very least, and this one was a big one, mm-hmm. is to uh, clean the leaves up that, that have hit the ground. Get a, get a blower, get a, a rake, get them out of there. And then ideally get back in there and spray a fungicide. Uh, there's the Fertilone Liquid Systemic Fungicide uh, that's got Fotina Endosporium on the label. And there are other ones. But just give that thing a good spray and come back in about 10 days, 2 weeks. Make sure you spray it again. But I was telling him to also spray the ground. And I said, now, look, it's not going to clear up anything that's already on there. Mm-hmm. Those leaves are going to eventually come on off. You're spraying to prevent further infestation. But that was my point. That was just one indication of a fungal problem that this man had never seen on this red tip Fotina, as lucky as he has been, right? But the weather has been really conducive for a lot of fungal growth. Yeah, so mm. I would fertilize it really good, and I would take the um, limbs off the bottom and limit up some, yeah. a, a couple of feet, actually. And like Jim said, he's seen one that was tree-forming. Yeah, there's one just four or five houses down from my house <clears> that's... <throat> 25 feet tall i'm guessing and equally as wide oh sure when it's in full bloom it is spectacular and it's just as clean as it can be but it's not next to a house there is a fence by it but it's pruned up over the fence you got good air circulation good air movement Mm -hmm. through there it's in full sun they don't trim it to make it any Mm -hmm. thicker than it naturally grows uh and it's 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 a spectacular plant i've seen one too uh the same kind of thing not quite as big though and i thought that's fantastically beautiful. Why don't we, uh, I wish that they would sell them like that already, tree formed up and then have the, the pretty foliage on the top. Because uh, I'd feel good about planting one of those. I wouldn't worry so much yeah. about the, the blight, the endosporium leaf blight. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of powdery mildew on dogwoods already, a mm-hmm. lot of mildew on garden flocks, which is no surprise, a lot of mildew on bee balm, which is not really a surprise. <laughs> um, and then... Um, had a gentleman come into the garden center the other day, and he was talking to a lawn care specialist, uh, somebody that goes out and takes care of people's lawns. And they told this gentleman, you need to go ahead and put a fungicide down on your lawn and to be proactive uh, because of all the fungal activity they're already seeing even in people's lawns. So the reason we're bringing this up is, if you, especially zoysia, because zoysia is such a thicker grass, even the, more so than mm-hmm. Bermuda. Uh, so if you're seeing, you know, uh, brown patches out there or it looks like you have fungal activity in your lawn, um, there are some sprays you can spray out there. But I like to go, uh, personally, I like the, the granulated fungicides, whether it's F-Stop, uh, the Infuse, uh, the, the uh, Scott's Disease EX. All those products you can put down with a spreader, come back in about two weeks and reapply them. But the beauty of these products are, they control most of the pathogens that affect our lawns around mm-hmm. here. And, Veda and Jim, it could be one of those years, unless we start to dry up a little bit, that we see a lot of fungal activity, not only on, on our ornamentals and, and trees and shrubs, but in our, our lawn also. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And since I know that it's going to happen, the season of we're cooler and... Um, what am I trying to say? Wet. We're wet yeah. and cooler and all of that. Since I know this is coming up or that, that's a potential to happen, then I mm. always go out and immediately start putting out an organic fertilizer, do some spraying, trying to get the microorganisms, the good fungus to go ahead and attack the bad fungus and not let it spread more or not let it happen. 
And now, what do you do? You like milorganite? Do you like plant, plant tone, tone or the espoma lawn food I'm or all, any of those? I use all three of yeah. them and just change them out because yeah. you're getting all kinds of different releases of the fertilizer, different kinds of micronutrients and nutrients and all of that. So I'm giving my lawn a balanced diet. And I would use the seaweed and the brown spot patches. Oh, and, yeah. You know, so that's one way to go is I'm trying to catch it before it happens. Uh, just, and that's, know, that's the way you're being proactive. Right, right. I'm doing preventative. And, and let me say this also. I was doing some research a couple of weeks ago on lawn fungi. And they said in a lot of cases, pH has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that pH mm-hmm. is below 6, and we always say you want a pH between 6.2 and 6.8, 6.5 being ideal for most of our lawns. They said if that pH is below 6, Jim, you have a much better chance of getting a lawn fungus mm-hmm. uh, with the weather that we've had than not. So That's because the grass is weak because it ta- <clears throat> can't take in the nutrients because the pH is low. Therefore, it opens it up for insect and disease I mean, think problems. about that. You know, you know we're, how y'all were always talking about there's a, an action and reaction mm-hmm. and something, you know, that we see is usually because of something else. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, think about you could actually get a fungal pathogen or a fungal problem in your lawn just because of Low pH. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have never, I mean, who would have yeah. thought of that? I Makes wouldn't have. Makes sense, help. though. Makes sense. Yeah. Anytime a plant is not growing in its optimal conditions, then it's much more likely to be attacked by either insects or diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, the healthier you make the plant, you know, the better off you are. And, so, the, and our lawn is a, is a living that's organism. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So keep the pH up. You know, grass is a heavy feeder. Well, Bermuda particularly. Zoysia only needs about half as much nitrogen as Bermuda. Fescue only needs about 25% mm. of the nitrogen that Bermuda needs to maintain a good, healthy lawn. Right. So, you know, as long as you're feeding it and it's actively growing, you're less likely to have mm-hmm. issues. Whenever we get rainy, cool spells, that's stress on even a healthy plant. So then you run that risk. But as y'all were saying, do some things that are proactive. Uh, fungicides particularly work best as preventatives, right. not and curatives, as curatives. Right. So, um, but you also have to realize, too, that your lawn company is selling you a mm-hmm. product. Yeah. Right. But, and, but it's kind of like insurance. You may not need it, but if you got it and you need it, it's good. Now, what about pH, though, adjusting that pH, Jim? Because you made a comment, uh, you know, weeks ago that uh, Mother Nature doesn't want us to fool with pH, you know, or or, right. or it's hard to change the pH in your soil. Very stable, yeah. Um, so, but but lime is the way to do it, of mm-hmm. course. You put lime down, 40 pounds of old pelletized lime per 1,000 square feet, and that'll raise it, what, half a point? About half a point, yeah. And then what do you think about the fast lime? Um, um, it, it, again, it wor- it's going to work faster. It still takes some time to okay. get uh, that done. Pelletized lime, they say, actually, to act to do everything that it's going to do to run its course, it, it can take up to two years. But <clears throat> all that depends on the particle size of the lime. Now, when we pelletize it, we take small pieces of lime and bond them together, bond them together mm-hmm. so that it's easy to apply. Right. But, you know, when farmers buy lime, they buy it by the, the mesh size that it goes through. The smaller it is, the quicker it releases. So whether you're putting down just regular pelletized lime or whether you're putting down a fast lime, the end result's still going to be the same. You're raising yes, that pH. Yeah. All right, we got to run to a break real quick, we'll and be we'll back. be right back.
Good morning. Welcome back, gardeners. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. You're here with Veda, Kenneth, and Jim. We love to take your questions, so give us a call, 260-5926. Yes, ma'am, and then you can always go to Facebook Live and go to Mid-South Gardening, and there we are, Miss Veda. Shoot us a text, uh, shoot us a question, and we'll be glad to take care of it that and way also. And the nice also. thing is here, you get three different opinions. You get one organic, you get one synthetic, and you get one correct. So whatever. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you, you just add more to it. That's something. <laughs> Well, y'all, we've been giving people all the bad news this morning with insects mm-hmm. and disease and all that. I mean, there's got to be some good stuff going on out there, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, this, That's a good point. This cool, long spell uh, has been, for most plants, the best flowering year that I have ever seen. It's been beautiful. Yeah. I agree. My, my uh, um, blatillas, the ground orchids, they were in bloom for a, almost mm-hmm. eight weeks. I'm di- they've just been spectacular. And I normally... Three or four weeks and they're gone. Okay, so like, I agree. So like, you're telling me that the weather has made the. Are you calling them nuns orchids? Is no, that what you're talking different. about? No, nuns orchid is is not really hardy here. It gets really tall. These are yeah. the little Chinese okay. ground orchids. And is sometimes called. Okay, because we planted some like two years ago and they haven't bloomed. No, last year, and put all kinds of compost and everything, and made it great. And they, she was like, I just know it won't bloom. Well, it bloomed this year. And she's like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. But it wasn't me. Yeah. And it I was the temperature. I, I really <laughs> believe that a lot of this is in response to that bitterly cold spell that we mm, had. Gotcha. They read my mind. They're stressed. They think we're going to die. Mm. This is weather is changing. Yeah, so, yeah. so they're trying to reproduce. Uh, but the cool weather has allowed those flowers to persist. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, just, you know. You know That's true. That's funky. a good point. Well, well, that makes total sense. Yeah. And you were thinking it, Kenneth. What were yeah, you? well, you know, that, you know, after this past winter that we just had, uh, and there was, you know, eight inches of snow and ice everywhere out there, and all these evergreens, you know, you were just thinking they're just taking a beating, which mm-hmm. a lot of them did. Don't get me wrong. But Isaiah's, for example, when is the last time we saw azaleas bloom the way they did this year? I mean, yeah. it's like you were in Augusta, Georgia at the Masters. I'm telling you. And, you know, instead of being dead, mm-hmm. they showed their best color this year. Yeah. Uh, and then, you we're know. We're going to have a spectacular year on right, ranches. Yes, absolutely. Everybody. And then, oh, yeah. With the cooler yeah. temperatures that we've had this whole spring, which has been beautiful, mm-hmm. by the way. It's been a little wet, but, you know, we can't get everything we want. Uh, everything is blooming the way it should. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. We still saw some damage out there from this mm-hmm. past winter. Uh, I mean, and we expected to see some of that. You know, there's not a living Indian hawthorn in this city, I don't think, well, right? Not over six inches right. tall. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. See, that is so incredible how that was snow-covered right there. That's right. No harm, but the top is fried. Incredible. Mm. So, so give us a call, 260-5926. And uh, Kenneth looks like he's sewing over there. I'm going to stop he's trying on, to fix her he's jacket. He's on a mission. But yeah. also, I know y'all mentioned this last week uh, about the azalea leaf gall, mm-hmm. back on the fungus again, uh, mm-hmm. which is a fungi that affects the foliage of the azaleas, and it makes them just swell up. They turn white, they turn black, and they just start making them look horrible. Uh, this young lady <laughs> cut off a sample of a limb yesterday and brought it by the store, and she's like, and what is this thing? I mean, it was. I mean, she didn't want to touch it to start with, because <laughs> you know just the way it looked. And yeah. I said it was just a zaya leaf gall. Looks alien. Yeah, and when I said, well, you know, we see this, you know, a little bit every year, but uh, you know, we we're seeing a lot of it this year. 
So if you go out there and look at your azaleas and the leaves are got this big, puffy, nasty, white knot on it and it's turning black, <clears throat> it's probably a azalea leaf gall. And what we tell people, just pick as many as you can off if it's feasible. Uh, rake any off that are on the ground and then go back in there and spray some liquid copper, some diaconil, um, mancozeb, any of those are fine. Come back in about 10 days, two weeks and spray again and, and you'll knock it out. But Azalea leaf gall, as horrible as it looks, is typically not going to kill your azalea. No, you know, you can call it can cause some defoliation, but it's not going to. It's not like your azaleas are on the verge of dying because you see azalea leaf gall. All right, let's take a caller. Mm. Good morning, Mark. You're in the Mid South Garden. Hey guys, hey. Uh, I got a question about uh, spraying for mold. Um, let me see. Uh, I, I've been <laughs> using the. the um, Molgo, yeah, um, uh, the uh, repellent, which is, is done great. It, it works every time I every time I do it. Which is castor oil. Um, it's a hundred percent castor oil that you're spraying out of a bottle. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Hook it up to my hose yeah. and everything. Yeah, it works really great. Uh, question is, um, I've got in in, it's in my uh, front yard, and we've got uh, a bed that are up, up right against the house, a few feet. Uh, we've got flowers and, and shrubs and stuff. Uh, do you, um, is it okay to spread, to, to spray it on those, those in that bed with the flowers and shrubs, or do I need to just stop, start at the edge of it and go on out? No, just spray the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's I, not going to hurt them. It's yeah, gonna... I spray all of my flower beds because that's the... That's the smorgasbord for the mole, you know. You you've made the best soil. It's got the highest worm content. And that's where they want to be. Exactly. So you know, yeah, spray it down thoroughly, and and uh, it'll sure flush them out of there. Yeah. The only thing I would caution about Mark is if it was a hundred degrees outside. You know, if you're spraying any kind of oil, including castor oil, which is not a hundred degrees yet, make sure you spray early, early morning or late, late in the afternoon, and make sure everything's well watered. But I'm with Jim. I mean, get in there and spray those beds, spray the lawn, spray everything down with it. All right. All right. I guess that's it. All Thank right. you for going. Great. Thanks for the call. Yeah, Thanks, Mark. And I like to just to get it off the foliage once I've sprayed in the flower bed. I'll yeah. turn the sprinkler mm-hmm. on. Yeah, just to wash it, it off the helps, foliage. But in, and it helps get it penetrate Good. down through the soil. Do you at the think same like time. if the sun hit it, 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 it could burn? It could burn. burn. Yeah, so I mean, there's that possibility. Yeah. So that's why I turn the sprinkler on. Well, right which afterwards. is like it, maybe yeah. a, I mean in the city because remember I told y'all last weekend the young lady uh, that was out in Mississippi, she'd go out there on her front porch with a cup of coffee and her shotgun. Yeah. Remember, and, and every time she saw the ground move, she'd start blasting the front yard. Right. And hey, that's aeration. Oh, yeah, it is. I have no problem <laughs> killing moles that way. None yeah. whatsoever. You just take a shotgun and just shoot holes in your yard and you oh, aerate man, That's moles, how you do it in the country, right? They make people go crazy. I'm telling you, they do. We were talking about the moles and the voles, which made me think of earthworms, which made me think of, um, you know, the earth mix that I talk about all the time is... I think it's wonderful, but I had such good proof of it because, you know, the earth mix doesn't come with earthworms in it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's earthworm castings are, are kind of mixed in it. But we went to a yard to do their landscape. And so we lifted plants out mm-hmm. to save until we were ready to reset them. And we put it on a burlap bag, healed them in with the earth mix and mulch. Right. I came back two weeks later and the fattest yeah. worms were in that soil. <clears throat> 
worms. I guess they liked the taste of it. Yeah, worms are a good thing. Uh, I had two texts come in, guys. One from Mr. John Russell. It says, hi, hi Veda, Ken, and Jim. Uh, what's the best way to gather a soil sample in my zoysialone and get an accurate pH? Um, Jim, you know more about that. I mean, yeah. I know there are places in town you can send your soil right. to. Yeah, yeah. there's several places. You can send it through the University of Tennessee. But but you, if you do that, do you go down there and get one of their sample boxes? Or yes, they, you do. And um, the office has been closed over at the Agri Center. So you, if you call, though, they'll somebody will meet you there and get you a sample box. Okay. Uh, and there's also um, Waypoint Labs out in Bartlett. That's the one I couldn't think of. Uh, yeah, that's it's a great place. In fact, we have their their app, their info sheets and price and everything, on the, in the file section of uh, Mid South Gardening. They've been very cooperative and, and very very nice people. And what's the name of that place again? It's Waypoint Labs. Waypoint Labs and Bartlett. Yeah. Okay, okay, I know I'm thinking this through too much. Yeah, but, but taking your sample though, that's the yeah, important part. Yeah. And what you want to do is take four to six samples at three to four inches deep, mix them together, and then... Put them in that one take, box. Take, put them in that, your one sample and send it to them. Uh, that will get you a good average of that. So you uh, mean take three samples from different areas yes. of your yes. yard? Yeah, you want to go around, yeah. you know, depending on the size of your yard. If you've got a big yard, f- uh-huh. take five or six samples and just mix it all together. That way you can get an overall take, reading instead take, of just getting it from one spot. Right, because right. you can have a place where... You know, even some shrubs like spirea sometimes can actually change the pH of the soil. So you want to make sure that you get just an average and then uh, send them. And they'll tell you more information than you'll ever want to need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they get good, accurate pH. Uh, now, can when you send those samples in, can you have them do just a pH you reading? Can just a pH <clears throat> and you can mm-hmm. do nutrients. I mean, they have lots of different tests yes. they can do. So I take a soil from an area that's acidic, and I take some soil from another area that's kind of alkaline. Maybe, right? So, maybe, yeah, yeah, so the uh, acidity needs to be raised, and the alkaline maybe needs to be dropped. Mm-hmm. But how, when you mix them together, do you well, do but you typically really? don't. You're not going to find that. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're not going to find alkaline soil in, unless you've got sheetrock or something mm-hmm. up underneath there. Right. Um, so, it, that you know. Not in the same lawn. I mean, no. you're you're. Let's say if I get four or five samples from my front yard and have those mixed together in one pot, and then I get four or five samples from my backyard and have mm-hmm. those mixed together in the same box, and they analyze them. Okay, both. They're both going to come back about the same. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to have really acidic soil on one half of my lawn yeah. and really alkaline soil on the other half. And then know? that said, you can go to garden centers and for 25 bucks or so buy you a uh, inexpensive ph meter and we got them. has yeah. no batteries in it it lasts forever and it's going to be very very close and i have one i have one of the more expensive ones has the long probe on it and it's 150 bucks or so but it looks so cool it, it does it's <laughs> impressive you yeah. know when you stick that thing down the ground Ooh, uh, yeah. but it you know th- that's close enough and to get to get the measurement. And like I said, I mean, just the little handheld uh, pH meters that yeah. you buy at the garden centers. Just make sure your soil's moist That's so right. that you don't break that. And then on the tip of yeah. it, there's a it has to be cleaned with a little kind of like Brillo pad. And it type comes thing. with it. Yeah, it comes with it. Uh, so that it, and it's going to make all it's doing is measuring measuring electronic charge in your soil, electrical charge. Yeah. Uh, so it it'll do for government work anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so John, um, surely that'll help you out, buddy. If you have any questions at all, just be sure to let us know. But pH is important. People do need to check and see what that pH is from yeah. time to time. Right. Yeah. So we're going to head to a break, but do we have another question too? We can yeah, get when we get break? back, we're going to talk about this question uh, from Bob. He said, how can I get rid of creeping Charlie? Uh, half of the green in my yard is weeds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Not be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. That's FM 107.9 and AM 990. You can stream us online anytime at kwamradio.com. And give us a call at 901-260-5926. That's 901-260-KWAM. Yeah, 260- Join our Facebook group. You can send pictures of your issues and yeah. questions, and um, we will get you an answer yeah and i appreciate uh bob texting me in uh how can i get rid of creeping uh, charlie half the of the green in my yard mm-hmm. is weeds um well creeping charlie is is depending on where it's growing it's mm-hmm. a desirable if it's growing where you want it to grow yeah. it's considered we sell it all the yeah, time we do mm-hmm. a lot of it but it's yeah. considered a weed if it's growing where you don't want it to grow absolutely but if you have weeds in your lawns uh the First thing you, you got to determine is what kind of grass do I have? If it's Bermuda or zoysia, most of your typical weed killers you can safely use in Bermuda and zoysia. The second thing you have to determine is am I trying to kill broadleaf weeds or am I trying to kill grassy type weeds? A broadleaf weed is any weed that has a little leaf on it or a big leaf. A grassy weed is more of a type of weed that looks like a grass, like crab grass, right? Mm-hmm. But let's just say, for example, you're trying to kill broadleaf weeds, which Creeping Charlie would be considered a broadleaf weed. Uh, there's some really good broadleaf weed killers. Uh, the one that I like is either uh, the, I love the Fertilone Weed-Free Zone, mm-hmm. um, and then the Weed Beater Ultra, but Bonad is a good one also. But uh, Fertilone Weed-Free Zone, it's got the four different active ingredients in it. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like Trimac used to be on steroids, Okay. Because it also has that carifernazone in it, and it will flat out kill great job on broadleaf weeds. And it's safe to use on your Bermudas and zoysias and centipedes and St. Augustines. Um, now, of course, you got to mix it accordingly, uh, or you buy it in a ready-to-spray. So that's one uh, weed-free zone for broadleaf weeds. There is a product that you can buy called Weed Out with Crabgrass Killer. It's, it kills both broadleaf weeds and the grassy-type weeds because it has the quinchloric in it, okay? Uh, and it does a good job. And then, of course, there's other products like Image uh, that kills a lot of broadleaf weeds and grassy-type weeds. So if it's just broadleaf weeds, get the weed-free zone. Whether you buy the concentrate that you mix yourself up or whether you buy the ready-to-spray that you just hook to your hose, you can also buy it a little ready-to-use. Uh, it would do a great job in killing those weeds. Now, once you kill the weeds, Ms. Veda, yeah. in your Bermuda lawn, you know, do you want to come back and put seed down to kind of, you know, perpetuate what you have? Or do you just make sure your pH is up where it mm-hmm. needs to be, come back and feed your lawn really good, and have that Bermuda just kind of fill in those areas where you're killing the weeds? Well, I think I would analyze and see maybe why the Bermuda's thin, because maybe it's getting shade and the Creeping Jenny's mm-hmm. taking over. That would be one one thing to look at. Otherwise, if that's all good, then what you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but we you do only, see a lot of times. You want to be careful reseeding, though, if you've used anything with 2,4-D in it. You, there's a waiting period. There is. Four to six weeks mm-hmm. normally oh, is wow. kind of the average. 
Mm-hmm. Um, wow, and Roundup's less, is it? Roundup's a week, you three plant, days, you know. I'd plant next day. Yeah. You know, so not, 2, 4D is like six weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I think on most of them, it, it says at least three weeks on some of them, and then yeah. some of them it's up to six weeks. But you're right. I mean, once you kill the weeds, uh, I mean, you want to do whatever you can to get your Bermuda or Zoysia thick and lush again. And that's typically making sure the pH is in between 6, 2, 6, mm-hmm. 8, 6, 5 being ideal by putting down lime if you need to feeding that lawn typically with a high nitrate fertilizer. But most of your lawn foods, even though they have a lot of nitrogen in them, they're slow release and non-burning for the most Mm -hmm. part. Uh, And that will encourage new growth. And then in some cases, Veda, some people do come back and reseed or reside if need be. But I love what you said also, Veda. You can have a Bermuda lawn in a sunny environment, but you're trying to grow Bermuda in those areas where you have these big trees and you don't get enough sun to really support that Bermuda, I don't care what you do. Mm-hmm. It's going to get thin on you and you're going to get weeds out there. Wow. I'm still amazed at how long it takes 2,4-D to, to, um, before you reseed. Yeah. yeah. These products, 2,4-D, Trimec, 2,4-5-T, they're plant hormones um, on steroids. Okay. Mm-hmm. They were developed by the U.S. Army to defoliate areas yeah. uh, for um, like warfare. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but what they do is they actually stimulate the, the plants to grow so rapidly that the water systems rupture, and then it can't move food and water up and down, and the plant dies. Uh, and it happens very quickly. You know, if you spray an onion in about a day and a half, you can go out there and it's it's curled. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it's outgrowing itself. That's right. <laughs> it's what it's doing. It's growing very rapidly and, and inconsistently, so you get that misshapen foliage. Uh, you see it we a lot. We see a lot of that uh, on Desirable sometimes, Jim, when your neighbor's yes. spraying on a windy day. You know, you, uh, I've seen on trees where you'll have good foliage, then there'll be an area where there's deformed foliage mm-hmm. and then good foliage beyond that. And it's because there was broadcast sprayed some sort yeah. of plant hormone-based herbicide up underneath it. Aren't there a lot of neighborhood, next-door neighbor fights over that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and even with the fence, a lot of times people have stuff planted up against the fence, beta, like some beautiful Mm -hmm. roses, climbing roses, and the backside all of a sudden they get this elongation, this mutation. Uh Herbicide damage didn't come from them. It came from the neighbor behind them. Mm -hmm. Or somebody a block down the street. It does weird Mm -hmm. stuff in the wind. Um, Most of these plant hormone-based plant will yeah darn yeah. we're out of here <laughs> no uh, anyway <laughs> make sure Be you read the label before you go back yeah. and reseed right so it's been wonderful with y'all you've been listening to mid-south gardening on kwam the mighty 990